C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Hello, campers. Welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And I'm Maddie Yergi, the Resident Youth. And we are joined by two of the most esteemed guests. The most esteemed. <laughs> they are actual... Do you think anybody likes that joke about the most esteemed except for us? My mom likes it. Oh, good. <laughs> she well, told me we'll clearly keep doing it forever and ever and ever. Um, <laughs> but Kelly and Avery are true fans of the pod. Yes. Oh, yeah. From the beginning. we have super fans on. Yeah. You guys have t-shirts? Oh, yeah. Do. Ooh. What has been your favorite episode before? Let's talk about us before we talk about <laughs> you. <laughs> um, or just a favorite. was the Gen Z interviews um, you guys have Kelsey. done. Kelsey. Oh, yeah. Kelsey will be so excited. Hearing about the, um, the goop drama. Oh, what, what was it? The slime. 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 That was <laughs> the it. The goop drama. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Great. we did a, a follow up for the one year anniversary, and it turns out that girl that she was mad at, they're now friends. See? Whatever her name was, Alice. Alice, yeah. I almost just said her real name. That would have been bad. Yeah. <laughs> so that's fun. I don't think I could pick a favorite. Because they're just all so good. Thank you. Well, that. They're also different. Too. They're also different. And I appreciate that you guys managed to cover so many different specific topics to kind of all aspects of the millennial experience. Yeah. I like that. Um, (laughs) So before we jump into our normally scheduled segments, just to place you guys on the millennial spectrum and kind of introduce you to our listeners, if you could each say how old you are, where you grew up, and what you're doing with your life now. All right. I can go first. Uh... My name's Avery. I'm 24. I grew up in New Hampshire originally, born and raised in Portsmouth, which is like right on the tiny 16, 17 mile coastline that New Hampshire has. And that was great, but then I moved to New York with the big city, chasing the dreams of being in film and TV, and uh, now I'm just doing production coordination for a production company out in Queens, basically just packing equipment on trucks, managing their inventory, and just sort of there's a million things to do and figuring it all out. Like the other day, I had to make a 12-foot white circle for someone to do capoeira on. I don't even shoot. know what that word is. It's like Brazilian <laughs> fight dancing. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I don't know how to describe yeah. it. It's very interesting, and I had to find a source for pure white linoleum flooring and then cut it into a giant circle. That's fun. Yeah. I respect that so much. I mean, I feel like my job was not that intense, but there was a lot of, when you work in art, design, production, film, et cetera, you're constantly getting these requests that are like, so, and you're like, no, but ultimately <laughs> you do it, right? No, yeah, it was like a Saturday night. I was driving my boss to the airport so he could go do this whole other shoot he was doing. He's like, yeah, so we got this shoot on Tuesday. And I think I need like a 12 foot white circle for them to like dance on. Can you like make that happen and I'm like I guess I have to now that seems to be what you're telling me so yeah. there's yeah. no option 
That's so it's great. a lot of figuring out like the minutia of making everything happen. I like that. Yeah. You learn a lot. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, my name is Kelly. I am also 24 years old, almost 25, which is slowly starting to freak me out. Oh, um, please. <laughs> I know it shouldn't. It shouldn't, but... It does. We can get into it. Does. It does. <laughs> and I grew up in Wisconsin, um, north of Milwaukee in a town called Mequon. Uh, it's basically strip malls in Lake Michigan. Um, and now I work in costumes um, mm. on an NBC television series. So fun. Can you tell us which television series? I think so. I, okay. It's not, that's not in your NDA. I don't think that, yeah. I, I work on Blind Spot. 8 p.m. Oh, on cool. Fridays. So fun. I, I've been wanting to watch Blind Spot. I don't currently, but my stepmom is like obsessed with it. She loves it so much. So that's so I will cool tell her to hear. <laughs> the yeah. People actually watch. I, it must be. I read about like those the tattoo things and how like complex that is for that actress to like get into that every time you guys shoot. So, um, when there's only small amounts showing, it actually takes more time than when it's her whole body. Oh, because she just wears like a giant sleeve, right? Yeah, it's her whole body. That's so cool. That's interesting. So when they actually have to hand paint them, yeah, it takes makeup a while. Yeah, (laughs) that's crazy. Um, All right, Um, And I want to say your quarter-life existential crisis, we can talk about this more later, but it directly stems from the fact that you're from Wisconsin. As someone also from the Midwest, Maddie, get ready. It's coming for you, too. (laughs) I'm the same age. That does not surprise me. (laughs) I'm the same age as these guys, so I don't know. Maybe it is coming from me. Maybe it's just because so many people I know from home are, like, getting engaged and getting married. Oh, yeah. One of my brother's high school girlfriends got married yesterday. One of my My best friends from high school got married yesterday. It's crazy. I was so sad I couldn't fly to San Francisco for it. Yeah. So. All right. So. Millennial millennial moments. moments? Yes. Shay, would you like to lead us off? I will. Because I've got, I got a two. So I think one the first one is maybe more of like a Portlandia moment. Cause I'm sitting here <laughs> drinking like my organic coffee that was specially sourced and helped save rescue dogs. And I'm eating like a bowl of blueberries that I <laughs> picked up from my farm stand CSA. So I'm like, bomb! I'm so cool. <laughs> um, but then also my real millennial moment for the day is today is Benson, my dog's <gasps> second birthday. And happy birthday, Benson. Happy birthday, baby Benson. She's so big. And I wasn't like my little cousins who are actual children and my, you know, little um, step people wanted to like have a party for her, but none of them are here today. So I was like, well, God damn it! I still want to have a birthday party for my dog. So even though I'm gonna get in a lot of trouble, I invited over my like grown-up cousins and their dog so we can have a birthday party for Benson on the actual day of her birthday because I didn't want to do it in like two weeks when all of the little people in my life are back. I feel like so, adult parties are better, anyways. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know there will totally be wine and it will be cool. But um, I was like, yeah, this is really that millennial thing of like treating your dog like your baby and of course like she wakes up today she didn't want to get out of her bed and I was like it's your birthday Benson and she's like I don't give a shit if it's my birthday like is there going to be breakfast so (laughs) I like that this uh Um, you know spoiler alert there was breakfast and there was cheese on it amazing oh extra birthday we've got to figure out what to do for our cat's birthdays oh yeah it's coming up soon 
Definitely tiny cat party hats. I, I love it. Can you wrangle yeah. them to get the hats on? I don't know. You guys sneak up on them. Probably. You can get it. They don't mind being held, so yeah. I think we can manage it. Betray their trust. Yes. <laughs> oh, I feel so bad every time we give them a bath. Oh. If we pick them up and start walking towards the bathroom, they freak out. They know it's oh, coming. Going on. That's so well, funny. Well, they can't be gross, you know? That's true. It's their fault for being Sometimes they get into things that require bathing. Yeah. Ugh. Gross. All right, um, Maddie. Well, mine is kind of lame. I just, like, went out drinking last night, and I was very hungover until I chugged an emergency, which was a thing that Shay taught me when we lived together to get rid of hangovers. I, like, got up at 11, and I was like, I have things to do today. (laughs) I have to be a a functioning person. And I felt like crap until I, like, chugged this emergency, and then I've just been revived. Hmm. I've never heard that one. Yeah, I think it's because you're getting the liquids, and there's a ton of vitamins in it. Electrolytes, it's really energizing all the stuff that's been dehydrated overnight. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I would also highly recommend if you do this trick you make your emergency like they tell you to make it in like eight ounces of water or whatever make it in like 16 or 24 ounces of water because you'll feel less like puking because you it know it's be less strong. concentrated yeah. the flavor you chug but you'll get <laughs> way more exactly yeah just snort the powder guys that's how i always did it when i was Main sick one. when i was younger i'd mix it in a whole lot more water than they called for yeah it was just it was such a strong flavor it's almost like drinking it's like chalky. It is, mm-hmm. but it's like yeah. an orange Gatorade, but yeah. like times 20. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pretty gross. What's your guys' millennial moment? I'll go first this time. Um, my millennial moment came Friday evening when I, Ooh. after 15 minutes of building myself up, asked my boss if I could go home half an hour early because there was no work left for me to do. Rather than just sitting there for half an hour doing nothing. And can I pause you? Because you work crazy hours. So when you say a half an hour early, I'm assuming it wasn't like 4.30. So I get to work every morning 15 minutes before I'm supposed to be there to do some things that I know that the costume designer really likes to have done before she gets there. And I don't get paid for those 15 minutes. And how early is that? I get there normally at 7.45 and then I get off at 8.30 in the evening. Oh my God. So you're pulling over 12-hour days. So I end up pulling like 12 hours and 45 minutes a day. So I'm going to ask just a really inappropriate question, and you do not have to answer it. But I'm just fascinated by in creative industries what the entry level salaries are. So minimum wage. (laughs) You get minimum wage for that, and you're paid hourly or you're salaried. Hourly. So after eight hours, I end up making over. After eight hours in the day, I make overtime. That's good. So you're hitting the overtime still, like every day. But still, minimum wage is like 13 an hour. It's, it's insane. Well, and I got lucky. So this is my second season on this show. Mm-hmm. And I got an automatic 39 cents an hour raise. Ooh, killing <laughs> it. <laughs> Extra 15 bucks a week. <laughs> I now, love is there an opportunity for you ever to come on like as a salaried position? Is like, is that the goal so, or is this no, just how oh, it is? In TV... You have to be at the very, very, very top of your department to become salaried because the unions purposefully keep everything hourly, but it's great hourly rates. Okay. So like you can eat, some people are making well over $50 an hour. Yeah. Okay. That's much more reasonable. Yeah. So anyways, back to your story. Back to my story. So yeah, I spent 15 minutes building myself up to ask if I could go home early. 
She let me go home early. Yeah. <laughs> and was she like, off. yeah, whatever, or just leave? Or was she like, okay? A little bit like, okay, but at the same time, like, all the, like I had been doing busy work for the last two hours. Mm-hmm. And, like, the last thing she was like, can you move some of these hangers towards the back of the office? Onto the, there are these special things that hold hangers. They're called hanger trees. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you asked me that a while ago. Uh, I didn't move them because the hanger trees at the back of the office are more full than these hanger trees. And there's nowhere to put them back there. So, yeah. It all worked out, though. And then I got to go home an extra half hour early and play with my cats. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It was a good Friday night. We turned on Forrest Gump halfway through and oh, watched fun. the rest of it. Oh. So <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I feel the same. I have like an office job and like it's very loose, but sometimes they'll my boss will like write over Slack to everyone. She'll be like, Oh, if you wanna leave, like you can. But then other times we're like even more dead and she won't do that. So like it's kind of hit or miss, but we'll see. That's I feel nice. like one thing I've learned since moving to Portland is that whole like New York city time clock mentality is very much a New York city thing. Like since I've been here, everybody's like, well, and granted I'm a little bit further on in my career, but everyone's like, well, yeah, you just leave when you're done. And if it's at four, you leave at four. And if it's at eight, you leave at eight, but like you just go, you don't check in with anybody. And I'm like, even when I was working, at an almost executive level in New York, it was still like you didn't leave until your boss was like, okay, you can leave. Yeah, um, exactly. I find that very interesting. My but, uh, boss is very much on that time clock mentality. It doesn't matter when yeah. you leave, but he'll always ask everyone the same question of, oh, what, half a day? It doesn't matter what hour <laughs> you have been working. The only really? time he said anyone did a full day is when he and two other people on our crew did a full 24-hour day, essentially – they did like a 12-hour shoot, then flew directly to the airport, flew to Georgia, oh did another 12-hour shoot, and flew home all like within 24 hours. That's insane. Like, yeah, that's they, insane. that was a full day. That's so crazy. that's the standard he works at. 24 hours. <laughs> 24 uh, hours is a full day. Anything <laughs> less than that is not your maximum effort, that's apparently. Um, do you have a millennial moment, Avery? Yeah, uh, mine's a little bit older, but recently I was back home visiting with my little brothers, and I guess mine's sort of a cross millennial gen z moment yeah. where how much I, younger is your brother my brother is 11 years younger than me he's, okay, so oh, he's wow. just Formally about to turn 13 yeah and he's yeah he's right in eighth grade he's right in the middle of all that fun oh my god he should watch the eighth grade movie we can talk about that later it's okay. very good but um but i was talking with him and we were just chatting about like what he likes to do after school and he's like oh yeah i'll go to the library and we'll play flash games on the computer <laughs> and i was like oh what websites do you go to? And he's like, uh, Addicting Games. I'm like, AddictingGames.com? He's like, yeah. I was like, oh, man, it's still the same. Okay, I'm still hip. I'm still with it. It's still the same websites. You go to Miniclip? And he's like, yeah, of course I do. All the time. <laughs> so it was like a great like bonding moment with my little brother who's sort of in that removed generation. He's still like one of those kids who likes to watch someone play Minecraft on YouTube for five hours for some reason. Yeah. But it was cool to like have that moment of like, okay, cool. We're still on the same level. You're still digging the same things I yeah. dug when I was your age. That's very cool. I like that a lot. That's very cute. I love the Gen Z. Like that's the thing about doing this podcast. It's like even across like the older generations, like we just interviewed a Gen X person and like there are some differences, but there's more similarities. I feel some things never mm-hmm. change. Yeah. It's very like true. where to find good flash games. Yeah. 
Good totally. plug for addictinggames.com if you want to sponsor this podcast. Hey, are you in middle school? Are you bored and have free time in the library unsupervised? <laughs> addictinggames.com. <laughs> that is a great advertisement. I love it. Um, I love Shay, it. shall we move to the campfire topics? Do you have yes, one? Yes, let's stoke the campfire. I'm doubling down on the camping metaphor since it's summertime. I love it. I love um, it. It works. Who should start? Who's ready to go? Um, I mean, I am if you don't want to go first. I mean, I'm also ready, but I just, I feel like I'm going first for everything today. So I no, don't want to do be it. a first hog. No, do it. Go for it. Okay. I like it. So Consistency. I, once again, see when I'm prepared, I'm overprepared. And when I'm not prepared, I'm like, I don't know what my name is. Uh, <laughs> so I'm overprepared today. Um, first of all, this isn't, I don't want this to be my topic because I don't think it's really millennial-esque, but I did watch um, Elder Millennial on Netflix yesterday. <gasps> oh my God. I wanted to talk about this. So I'm glad you brought it up. Because I okay, also watched cool. it recently. So can we talk about this? And then can I also do my other millennial moment? Because Or my other sure. campfire topic? This okay. is your podcast, Shay, so you can do whatever you want. I know. I don't know why I'm asking permission. Maybe it's because, I don't know. That's a very I'm millennial thing, guess. asking permission. I True. Very true. Uh, so I really liked it. I thought it was very... Well, can we, can we back up and talk about what it is? It's Eliza okay. Schlesinger's new comedy yes, special. Her, so she's... I saw it show up. I yeah. have not had a chance to watch it because we watched the second half of Forrest Gump. Yeah. And I'm also... I'm convinced Tom Hanks just needs to take over Kevin Spacey's role in House of Cards so we can get Robin Wright and Tom Hanks together again. I like that. Oh, that would be good. That's a good... Yeah, but so, back to yeah. the stand-up special. Yeah. yeah. So back to Eliza. So it's her... And I don't really know her outside of this special so I don't Maddie probably knows more about comedy than I do I mean she definitely has a very specific brand that was consistent throughout the new special but is it her second special it's like her third or fourth I think yeah okay I've seen because she has like the party goblin one that's like the famous one she was also on last comic standing so that's how a lot of people know her um but anyways yeah so Shay it was your first time seeing her yeah, so I just first of all, I thought did think she was really funny. I don't think she really addressed like they called the special elder millennial, but I don't think she really addressed any of those issues that I actually thought would have been really funny. Like be, probably because we talk about this on here for two hours every week. Um, so I w- had kind of wish she had like dug into that concept a little bit more. But I did. I, I like the way that she kind of talks about like dating and dudes and interaction and like women's bodies, et cetera. Yeah. Et cetera, that's definitely her specialty. Yeah. It just, it was really, um, I think it was really fresh because it wasn't like overly politically correct, but she also wasn't overly like disgusting. It just, I don't know. I just really liked her whole style. I thought it was good. Um, and I was like totally crapping up, cracking up at the whole bit with her dog. Um, and when she was like, you know, like, who's we the baby? Yeah. Who's the baby? Cause I do that all the time. With I was going to bring that up with the way you were talking Google before. It's my little baby. And that's what I do. <laughs> and then like just the way that whole thing. So she goes like the dog comes out after that and is like, I know something bad has happened. I know that I love you. And I know something bad is going to happen again because it's like, you're like attacking the dog with your love. Um, so that part was really funny and I definitely laughed and it was really relatable. So I would highly recommend and to all of you people out there. Yeah, I liked it. And Any to your point, comments, well, to your point about the elder millennial thing, she only addresses it in the first like five minutes of the special, but her whole marketing campaign around the special, um, yeah. like on Instagram and stuff has a lot more like she, she's done a couple like really cute little like Instagram stories and stuff about oh, like promoting yeah. the special. 
yeah, so I would check that out and a lot of the promotional material. But I wanted to ask you, do you prefer the term ancient millennial or elder millennial? Um, I prefer the term ancient millennial, probably because I heard it first and I feel like we've branded that a little <laughs> bit here at Camp Adulthood. So I want to really double down on my brand. Um, but I think ancient millennial is a little funnier and it's a little, it really kind of highlights that contrast between, you know, younger millennials and then regular millennials and ancient millennials. I like that. Good stuff. So what's your actual campaign? So my talk? actual one, um, so I, I now cannot remember how I came across this article, but it's in Texas Monthly, which let me tell you, <laughs> not something I read regularly. Uh, but it's called How a New Generation is Reviving Small Town Texas. And I'm just fascinated by this entire concept because I clearly I am a big like Fixer Upper fan. Um, I love HGTV. I'm from the Rust Belt originally. Uh, for Kelly and Avery, I grew up uh, in a very small town near Pittsburgh. And so I was just reading this article, and Maddie, I will send it to you to share with our readers. And I don't need to go into it. Like, it didn't really say anything that was, like, too, you know, striking. But I loved – it basically was talking about how people – it started kind of outside of Austin – um, cause people in Austin were like, oh, you know, it's like just too expensive in here. It's too crowded. It's like more industry comes in. So they're moving not to the suburbs, but they're moving like 30, 40 miles outside of the city to these small, like, you know, anywhere from four to 8,000 people, uh, towns and they're revitalizing them. And it's people who are not necessarily from these small towns. So I, I love that this is happening in Texas. Um, and I guess, again, you know, we've got at least kind of three of us that are from four of us. I can't do math. Four. No, I'm from of the us. suburbs for sure. Yeah. But that are from the Midwest. And I think it's really interesting concept because, again, and I'm a little less Midwest and a little more Rust Belt. But I wonder, you know, right now we're so much into the revitalization of Detroit and Cleveland and Pittsburgh and Buffalo. But I'm really excited to kind of see if we're going to have, you know, the similar thing that you have happening in some of these Western towns, you know, like Austin, which was really developed about 10 or 15 years ago. So in another 10 or 15 years, when hopefully these Rust Belt towns continue to grow, will you have people moving into places like my hometown and doing what they're doing. I mean, it was just like talking about this tiny little town of 6,000 people and all this like cool stuff. Um, and it was discussing that, you know, people have come and brought in and that it's really exciting for millennials because they have community, which millennials always seem to be seeking. They have um, a walkable, tiny urban environment because that's the other thing that millennials want. They want to be able to walk. Um, and then they have all kind of the accessibility of the city, but in this small town, and it's just a lot more convenient. So I just wanted to share it. I don't know if I have anything to say besides I'm interested to see how this plays out in other small towns across the country, again, especially in the Rust Belt, as those big cities are revitalized, you know, what happens. So because I would love to see this happen in my hometown, and I think in a different life, I would love to go back and be a part of that, but that's not happening now because I live here. Isn't but, there you know. a show on HGTV called Hometown where they do this exact thing? Yeah, in exactly. And a lot of this is happening in the South and kind of like the Southwest. So I, that's why I'm like, okay, when is this going to happen? Yeah, it's kind of more North. folksy. I'm not sure if it will ever happen in places where it snows in the winter. 
Yeah. God damn snow. And I think <laughs> because as you said, the walking thing I think is really important mm-hmm. and being able to get out and enjoy your town. And That's if your point. whole goal in the winter is just to get from your car inside as fast as the, as humanly possible, that's yeah. just, it's not that yeah. kind of town. I mean, my neighborhood doesn't even have sidewalks because nobody right. walks. Oh, wow. Because, that's like, it's, we have seven months of winter. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, maybe but more maybe in the Rust Belt the, as opposed to, like, the upper Midwest. Of global warming? Exactly. <laughs> the, my parents <laughs> just bought a lot right on Lake Michigan. A big, uh-huh. beautiful oh, five yeah. acre lot on top of a 100 foot cliff down to the lake. Oh, so beautiful. And my All mom's right. just like, yeah, in 50 years, it's going to be oceanfront property. <laughs> it's like laughs till cries. That's how I feel about that. Exactly. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Maybe in the, the Rust Belt or the lower Midwest more than the upper Midwest. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Wisconsin, yeah. Michigan, maybe less so, but maybe Pennsylvania more so. Um, yeah. But yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, was interesting. Although certainly where I grew up, you know, we didn't we didn't get quite as much snow, but we did have weeks of negative zero weather. So mm, yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily any better, but yeah, you know. it's good stuff. Yeah. All right. All right. My Enough hot topic. Me. I have an actual paper magazine in front of me. Hoo Which magazine? It's New York Magazine. The, the Love New York issue. Coffee. As I crinkle it into the microphone, this one with Elizabeth Warren. If you want to see Shay, oh, she's a cover. delight. Um, and she's running in this photo, delightful photo. Um, but there's an article in here, which hopefully I, I'm sure it's online. I'll post to it. But it's about natural wine, and it says natural wine is weird, funky, even dirty. Sommeliers are obsessed. But does it actually taste good? Top notes of poo, by Maureen O'Connor, and it's about. And then it has this like gross picture of natural wine. But it, the article goes into um, like wine that's mass produced that you would buy at the grocery store they kind of replicate what naturally happens to ferment in like a more clean setting but if you just let the grapes kind of ferment naturally you can still get wine and it will have a more like earthy flavor and something i didn't know most red wines they ferment the grapes in the skin for Mm -hmm. like commercially based wines but white wines they don't but some of these natural wines you can get a white wine that actually looks orange because they ferment Mm -hmm. them in the skin um so that was very interesting but they talk towards the end of the article about this concept and i'm sure i'm saying it wrong maybe but it's called glau glau g-l-o-u g-l-o-u it's like two words glau glau and it's kind of this culture around this natural wine and it's kind of a way of life and they specifically mention millennials that are kind of looking for this more authentic experience and natural wine might give them that and they talk specifically obviously because it's new york magazine so they talk about new york but they talk about you know restaurants in bushwick that are now serving this natural wine and it has a higher price point a lot of times but it's a lot more rustic so it's kind of looking at the culture of like things that are more down and dirty, but somehow they're more expensive. And Mm. I just wanted to read this small passage for you guys. To drink wine is to drink the soil on which grapes grow, the climate that cultivated them, the history. Whether rejecting machine additives is the best way to maintain this is the subject of heated debate. But as mood and movement, natural wines, 
definitely stuff your nose a little deeper into the territory, which is how I think Glau Glau captures a modern urban dream of escape, a fantasy that can involve estates in rural Austria, weed farms in California, or ditching the city to open a wine bar in the Hudson Valley. The dreamiest elements of these fantasies are, of course, bullshit, literal and figurative, but sometimes in that alcoholic haze of Glau Glau in the summer day, something occurs and you can taste the fantasies, ecological optimism and visions of a world in which perfect harmony that all you have to do is reach and squeeze a fruit right in front of you and out pours wine. And it tastes so good that nothing can stop you, not even horse shit. So I just thought that was very interesting. I 100% relate to that. Yeah. That's what yeah. I try and do with my garden, basically. Yeah, I, that's why I wanted to bring, bring it up. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that for Shay and our listeners, kind of your garden oh, yeah. and so how this relates to that. My grandparents own a huge farm. My cousin now runs it. And my mom's dad was a big gardener. So I grew up surrounded by gardens. And once I moved in with this gentleman and got mm-hmm. a backyard. Mm. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm you growing guys, stuff. What neighborhood in Brooklyn do you guys live in? Is it So technically Bed-Stuy? it's Crown Heights, Crown Heights but okay. it's the border between Crown Heights and bed is Atlantic Avenue, and we are okay. a block from that. So technically Crown Heights, but sort of very Culturally much... Culturally bed Very yeah. much in the middle of it all. Right. Um, but I got very lucky in that I got access to this apartment because my mom's best friend from high school was moving to California with my mom. And so his lease ended right when I needed a new place. So I was able to, with a friend, move into his old place, which is the basement unit in this brownstone. And we are the only ones with access to this backyard, which is oh, basically amazing. the size of the apartment. Yeah. Like square course, footage. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, it's huge. And so when I moved in, the man who had lived there previously had done nothing with it for years. Like, he had done one big cleanup of it in which he found all these big pieces of slate rock that he sort of formed into, like, a patio area. But then he let it go, so it was six-foot-high weeds and, like, these brambly, thorny vines all through it. It was kind of awful. So we spent that whole first fall just cleaning it out, ripping everything up, and just clearing it. And there's broken glass everywhere and whole bottles. And I think we found, like marbles and construction equipment the baby doll head was the creepiest thing that we did find it just like pepsi can from 1972 we dated yeah like there's so it's just full of trash (laughs) and weeds and it's a big backyard so i clear it out then my second year in the apartment kelly moves in and we go to home depot we buy wood and dirt and seeds and just build a bunch of raised beds and started growing and i think it does connect sort of back to what you were Mm -hmm. talking about with the article which is that sort of you want to be able to touch the earth in a sort of more real way especially when you are so heavily trapped in this urban environment and i think what makes the garden so much worth it for us is when we're working 12-hour days being able to just come back and sit in a backyard and like eat a cucumber is awesome yeah it's a great way to just relax and get out of that urban mindset and that that new york time clock mindset that you were talking about Jay. but even with the booze front <laughs> back to that the more wine alcohol focus yeah uh i had made the drunken discovery last summer of soaking our cucumbers in vodka oh my God, and making so homemade good. cucumber vodka oh and it is so, so delicious it's, yeah. that like it is that thing where it's just it tastes so good and when you grow your own cucumbers nothing can stop you yeah. mm-hmm. so you might as well do it that's yeah. great. I don't know if you have any thoughts, Shay, on the yeah, article I mean, or anything. Well, I have I have several 
thoughts on various topics. <laughs> so first of all, I just want to say before we get, I know we'll return to your kind of urban farming, but I think that's really interesting, um, Avery, that you're, you guys both have these really intense jobs and that you come home and that you still have time to do, not that you still have time, um, but it, I don't know. I love the way that you guys talk about it because it makes the idea of having a garden like that so much less daunting. Um, cause I have raised beds that are currently serving as like a toilet for my dog in the backyard. Um, and I wanted to put things in them, but I was really like kind of overwhelmed by the whole idea of planting. So I'm like, okay, if these two like young go-getters who, <laughs> you know, work these crazy hours can do this, then I certainly can do it. So very inspiring. And then the other thing I was thinking, Maddie, I'm still not like quite getting what, the, so basically what the natural wine movement is. So the, is that the glau like, thing is, it's like a French word basically. Yeah. And it's a movement around like that natural things are better, yeah, but that no, they I, might be more expensive. And yeah, so it's kind no, of a I, lifestyle thing. But anyways, yeah, your question. Yes, no, that I totally understand. I guess I'm not getting so natural, natural wine, wine is yeah it's just small batch not made in like a, a larger so it's like instead so like, like if you've ever been to a winery and they have the giant either like wood or steel yeah. bats and they basically for white wine we can just talk about that they peel all the grapes and then they put yes, the grapes I got that. Yeah. in um the vats and then they bring in they sanitize the grapes so there's no more soil there's no more if there were you know oh, tiny okay. bugs or whatever and then they yeah introduce the fermenting agent what the natural wine is they just pick the grape off the vine and they just let it sit there they they mash it yeah and so with white wine you would mash it and then drain the juices out and leave the skins behind yeah um and often like cooking wine is then made out of that right Um, and you might have some remnants of dirt or like other little things in there it's it's kind of cloudy it's not clear none of that sanitizing right that intense sanitizing process. Right. Like it's still safe to drink, but yes. Exactly. Well, I think, it, I think okay. people probably view it similar to like unpasteurized milk. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah. it's fine if you know when to drink it yeah. and take yeah. care of it. Correctly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, yeah, the whole glau glau concept, I mean, I think we see that happening. I mean, that kind of, you know, it also goes back to kind of what I was talking about in my thing where it becomes these cyclical things in these cities where it's like, or any, you know, something is cool and it's inexpensive and then it, the life cycle of it goes up and then down and up and then down. And, you know, I don't know if what would natural wine necessarily be like, once it becomes commonplace, it'll lose that allure and then something else will come. Um, They talked about that kind of the, like wine is so mass produced and that's something that's kind of happened in the last 10 to 15 years that you can mm -hmm. go to Costco and get like the Woodbridge wine and it's good. It's fine to drink. Like I like it. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's something that, you know, anyone can drink kind of how, you know, the stereotypical, like getting a six pack after work was in the eighties. Um, you can do that with wine now. And so they're, because that's kind of gone more low scale. It's like, what are the like fancy people doing now? I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. I like fancy. I'm all about it. If it, I like that kind of natural return nature. <laughs> hot topics oh, from our you're guests. powering through? Okay. I'm powering through. If you guys don't have any, that's Should okay. Should I start but... with my hot topic, Avery? Yeah. I'm really excited for the new Mamma Mia movie. <gasps> <gasps> Me too! <laughs> I think it seems <laughs> so awesome. Whether it's good or bad, I will love it. <laughs> it has <laughs> three 
fucking chair in it, so it's going to be amazing. Exactly. And I like the actress who's, I don't remember who's her name. The flashback but girl. Yeah. I, I've seen her in other things. She, she was in, oh, I don't remember. She looks like the she girl from Carrie Diaries, yeah. but she's not. Yeah. Uh, Allison, um, what is her name? No, uh, it's Brie Larson. Is that her name? No. no, it's not Brie Larson. No, it's not Brie Larson. It's a younger Hello? blonde girl who's... Oh, have we oh. lost Shay? You back? We can hear you. Sorry. I'm... Can you hear me now? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I'm just... It seems fun. I, I, I loved the original like movie because it, it's so colorful. And I think they did a great job of capturing those big dancing scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's just lighthearted. It's a lighthearted movie. And we need that right now. And yeah. it's female focused. Mm-hmm. It's basically like the men competing for the woman instead of the mm-hmm. women competing for the man. Yeah. So I'm excited. I think it'll be great. Yeah. I agree. It'll be fun. Everyone needs Excellent. more ABBA in their lives. Yeah. I mean, it's ABBA. It's Cher. It's Meryl Streep. It's uh, um, whatever exactly. his name is. Colin uh, Firth. Pier- yes. Oh, yeah. Colin Firth. Yeah. <laughs> That one. Pierce Brosnan. It's like, no, it's not Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> and Pierce Brosnan. I mean, it's really, it's, it too, it's a treasure right? trove of, you know, yeah. yes, Pierce Brosnan is in it as well. So I'm all about it. it. Uh, Avery, do you have any campfire topics? Uh, I don't really have a good one, but I'll <laughs> drag us down okay. intellectually lower off of <laughs> the last one, which is if you haven't checked out Cher's Twitter feed yet, oh, you I should. follow her. It's you amazing. Absolutely should. She, I think, uses Twitter in the only way it should be used, which is a direct stream of consciousness <laughs> thought process, because she is very loose with things like spelling and grammar and capitalizations and she loves uh, using emojis yes she uses emojis like uh i don't know peppercorns like they're just everywhere <laughs> it's great what's and the I, one you read me earlier uh, about how she misspelled mama mia and, yeah, a so tweet, she, like, and then did, she acknowledged that she misspelled it and then just had this tongue sticking out and a bunch of ghost emojis <laughs> yeah exactly like she misspells mama mia in her mama mia promotional tweets oh my and God. so if you haven't checked it out yet I would recommend it. It's very entertaining. That's awesome. I I love it. it. All right. Well, shall we jump into the interview portion? Yes, let's go. I would like to start with how you guys met. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) And how, well, first we should say, how long have you guys been dating at this point? We began dating February 1st, 2013. So it'd be a little over over five and and a half years. Nice. Very cool. So, so, so you guys, guys were just wee little college babies. We met first on the day. first day of second semester of freshman year. That's yep. so adorable. <laughs> in what class? Or not what? in a class? Not in a class. Should Completely. I just... Yeah, you want okay, Yeah. yeah Whenever first. anyone asks that question, we just look at each other and are like, "Who's going to tell it?" I feel like <laughs> oh, that was a no. your mother joke at some point. Yeah. I'm sure it was. <laughs> essentially, um, me and the like friends from my dorm room like hallway like all the people who are sort of in those same rooms we were like oh let's all go get lunch so or not lunch, dinner dinner and we went to the dining hall right next door to our dorm and kelly had been going to meet uh, jenny producer jenny <laughs> yeah and of course producer jenny's the center of every love story exactly <laughs> she so she kelly had been going to meet jenny at kimmel <laughs> one dining hall but ended up going to an entirely different one blocks I away wasn't thinking um 
because she lived in the same dorm I did, and that was the one next door. So she went there, I was there, I was in one line for sushi, she was in the other line for, like, the Indian food option. I was just shooting the shit with my roommate, and he asked what was in barbecue sauce, and I guess Kelly had recently watched <laughs> some cooking show in which they had gone into explicit detail about barbecue sauce ingredients. So she chimed in, and then we met. <laughs> and so I hopped lines to just sort of chat up this cute girl who just randomly started talking to me. Aww. And I kind of ditched the people I was with because <laughs> after, like, I, we were chatted, she got her food, but then she sort of walked off. And I got my food to stay. And then I went into the main area of the cafeteria and realized that I had just gone to the closest cafeteria to me and not the one Jenny told me to meet her at. Because I wasn't alone. even thinking. Yeah. So then he offered to sit with me. So I Aww. came out and saw that she was sort of like walking around and didn't have anyone to eat with. And I was like, do you want to just eat dinner and keep talking? And then, yeah, we ended up walking back and realized, oh, we both live in the same dorm. And then it was just sort of like, okay, well, can I get your number? We'll just chat some other time. And then we, I think we went out that Friday. That Friday yep. that was the February We 1st. met on a Monday. We went out on Friday. And that was five and a half years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um... I love everything about this story so much, and it's just like so meat cute and yeah, really it kind of is. It's I a little it. like overly sugary almost <laughs> in how sweet it is because it's just sort of like it was totally random, totally happenstance. It wouldn't have happened in any other way. I don't think we didn't like no. have that much crossover in our friend groups. We had or no crossover. You yeah. were in totally different programs, so yeah, we probably would never have met otherwise. I love it. That's awesome. That's a great story. I like that. (laughs) And how is it living together now compared? I feel like you guys have gone through like different stages of your relationship where it's like you're in college and then you guys lived apart and then now you're living together. Kind of how has that been? Yeah. Well, there was, I got lucky sophomore year and I ended up having my own room. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I got lucky that he was able to like, come stay over more often. Mm. So, like, we kind of had periods where, like, we were able to, like, work on what it would be like to live together. (laughs) Do, like, a trial run. Yeah. Just getting to spend a lot of, like, personal time together without it being, not necessarily impeded, but, like, having the roommate always there adds a certain filter to how you behave or interact and get to know each other. So it was... Like, and even that freshman year when we met, I had the dream freshman year roommate because he would pack up his stuff on Friday evening, leave town, and then come back Monday morning. That's perfect. So every weekend I had the room to myself. So, like, I was very lucky in that. And so it's like getting to hang out and not have to, like, have a third wheel just sort of, like, you know, five feet away from you. It adds a much bigger level to just... I don't know, how you get to know each other and being able to have that interaction. So when it came time, like, where I was in this apartment that I'm in now and the other guy was sort of moving on and it's just sort of like, let's just make this happen. We had been together almost five years. years, Almost five. Like four years and ten months or something. It was just sort of like, let's just do this because... If I'm going to have to spend all my time... It's like the inevitable next step kind of thing. It's like if you spend all your time in a one-bedroom apartment and you have to split it with someone else because New York real estate is insane, why not do it with someone you're just 100% 
comfortable with yeah. and you love. And it just made a lot more sense. And so I feel like it was easier for us to transition into that because we had had so much alone personal time. Like just We had had practice. We knew how to handle those dynamics of just being sharing like in a small sharing space that, together, yeah, yeah. being in a small space and sort of sharing it in those like more technical roommatey ways of like how do you clean and organize yeah. and deal with all the random minutia of how do you tell life. the other person when you want them to do the dishes you just be like hey <laughs> fuck face do it exactly yeah. well luckily that's also worked out easily enough for us because kelly yeah. loves to cook so i just clean everything oh my up gosh. When kelly is done. an amazing cook and barbecue you are so sweet and that's part of the fun of having the backyard is we mm-hmm. like to have people over we got a grill out there now just have a nice fire. fire pit exactly yeah, yeah. Fire pit was one of the new additions this summer. Yeah, you Ooh, got, fun. We, we have the backyard. You got to make use of it. Exactly. So you guys have invested a lot into this, your home together. How, I mean, this is, was always my big fear in New York real estate, but how long do you think you'll be able to be there? I don't know. It's, it's an interesting setup we're in because we are technically the supers for the building. Oh, this, that's nice. So this was all part of like inheriting this rare apartment from my mom's friend was he had known the landlord because he had worked with the landlord's sister and the landlord doesn't ever like showing up at this property he just likes to sort of collect his rent and not Mm -hmm. do much which i get you know he's a landlord he manages a lot of other properties so i totally understand where he's coming from so i take out the trash i sweep the building if like we have to get a contractor in to fix something i'm normally the guy facilitating it and so like we get this apartment at a slightly cheaper rate for doing so and we also get this amazing backyard granted the apartment's not the best it hasn't been like renovated or seriously like repaired i think in a couple decades but oh, gosh we so, had mice and the landlord's aunt response was get cats and we did and <laughs> well, it worked out actually they did catch their first mouse the oh other really day. Uh, i came home and there was a very dead mouse uh right in front of the door which unfortunately i did not notice when i walked through the doorway uh, so i did step on it but <laughs> i do appreciate their vigor and hunting skills for actually catching one i know that's yeah. amazing like you would think they would just scare the mice away but to actually catch one well it's like every now and then i'll come into the kitchen and our our girl cat river she's much more territorial and she's much more the hunter then she'll just be like flaying like super flat on the kitchen floor like staring at all the cracks in the walls <laughs> and it's just sort of like oh okay you're doing your thing i'm just gonna like quietly yeah. move through the space and let you hunt because if you catch the mouse it's good for us yeah <laughs> and that's nice that they can use those like hunting instincts in new york exactly they gotta yeah. keep because i always i know shay like talking about benson like having dogs in new york yeah, like, it's so hard. The quality of life for the animal can sometimes not be that great, and yeah. even dog with cats parks too. here are so small. Yeah, compared oh, yeah. to like if you were to like even I'm sure where you grew up, like the dog park was like a giant open field. Yeah, well, ex- well, where I grew up, there were no dog parks because literally everyone had their own giant open field. <laughs> but um, where I live now, like it was funny, we were at the dog park yesterday, and my boyfriend was like, "Oh, it's really crowded here," and I was like, "LOL," I was like maybe. <laughs> 15 dogs and it's like a half an acre fenced in. You have to bring so David like, to New York so he Benson knows. Benson has a good 20 foot radius around her between her and any other dogs. Wow. Nice. That's nice. Yeah, you have cute. to bring it's David real... to New York so he can get a perspective. I know. I know. So <laughs> we are, day. I don't know if we'll be, well, 
We're trying to plan a trip sometime. TBD. So, TBD. Of course. TBD. Yeah. TBD. Hopefully I am coming at least in yes. September. Um, yeah. Since you guys have been together so long, how has it been kind of watching your different friends like go in and out of relationships or like casually date in college or the whole like online dating thing? I feel like you guys have kind of bypassed. Oh, yeah. And that's a millennial thing. Like, in, in a weird way, because I, I know at least when we both started dating, we were both more in that mindset of, like, not looking for no, anything long term. We term-term. met, and we're both thinking, awesome, this is going to be that, like, first person that I'm just going to casually date and then move on. <laughs> and, like, middle yeah. of the first date, we're like, oh, no, yeah. no, this this is not what I had planned to get into already. <laughs> oh, how many common interests? What What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, no, it started. Do you feel like that took a pressure off, like being in college and not having, like, you watch your yeah. friends kind of go through all these, like, trials and tribulations? We never got into the going out to bars every weekend. Right. Because I remember, like, there were weekends where I was out of town and you would go out to bars with our oh, friends. Yeah. I, and he would be like, they're all just buying drinks for all these girls that are never going to go home. Oh, my with God. Them. And I guess I had the luck of sort of being the. I've already taken, so I sort of get the outsider perspective on all yeah. their behavior, but it's sort of like, yeah, buddy, she's not going to talk to you. I, I could tell you that right now, but you can go oh. ahead and spend the 12 bucks if you want. Like, so it's sort of like having that outside perspective. You're like the elder statesman of your friend group. <laughs> it's it's a weird perspective, but yeah, kind of. Well, and then among our friend group, there have kind of been like two other long-term relationships that have come and gone, which have it's been interesting to kind of just... Like, to, to watch the breakup I, I, I don't know if I would call <laughs> it winning. <laughs> but to feel... I don't know, it makes me feel more confident in our relationship. Yeah. Seeing other people reach the same point of kind of comfort that we've reached and then having it, like, not work for them. And every time we've reached a point where things have started to become uncomfortable or difficult, we find a way to work through it. Yeah. yeah. And, like, the more times we go through that process, the more confident I am that things are always going to work out that way because we're both yeah. determined to make them work out that way. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. awesome. That's very mature too. Communication is everything. If you can't tell the person you're with like difficult things and if they're not willing to respond in a way that's like, I'm going to listen to you rather than take that criticism as a critique of mm-hmm. me personally. Well, it's not even that. I think mm-hmm. it's just listening without reacting. Yeah. yeah. You have yeah. to be able to just sort of listen to what someone has to say without immediately jumping into how you feel about what they're saying. You have to really give them their space to vocalize whatever's going on or you then people feel stifled or they feel like they can't you can't say what you need to express and then right. stuff just starts to simmer below the surface and that's how cracks build, <laughs> I feel. Yeah. I agree. It's better to just have it out in the open and discuss everything straightforwardly as opposed to hiding or trying to cover things up because that never leads anywhere good. That's well, it's always better, yeah, to be proactive than reactive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you guys have any like stories that you guys look back on when you were like wee babes and you're like, wow, how did we get here? Oh, like at the beginning of our relationship? There were, I would say, we spent a semester together in London. Oh, yeah. And I only took 12 credits, and it was, like, the easiest semester for me. So from my perspective, that whole semester was kind of candy-coated in just, like, it was just, like, the two of us in London. 
And I had like no homework. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just easy and fun. And we and made, you guys met that weird guy. Alistair Agnew, <laughs> yes, the most brilliant man in the world. He's supposedly moving to New York soon. Which to meet be, him. Yeah. Uh, we sh- he this should, is like he an should, eccentric guy. We should try and get him on the podcast. Oh, that would be a get. That, that, that would be a huge get. He, he's, he's a fascinating man. Um, but yeah, he just met us at the pub one night and then started buying us rounds and rounds of drinks and meals and books. This is eccentric. British millionaire. He messaged me on Instagram yesterday and said, I can't wait to get to New York, eat a steak, and debate with you. Get the vino (laughs) on ice. (laughs) Yes, very intense. He's just this very eccentric dude we met at a pub. I love it. Yeah. Exactly. Clad suits with Converse, and oh, yeah, he's a great man. That's amazing. Um, Switching gears a little bit from your relationship to kind of like what you guys are doing now, you guys both studied film and tv and acting in school he did not do well acting. you did yeah. well i mean film and tv and acting yes. collectively um kind of these more creative fields that are heavily concentrated in new york how has it been different from what you thought it would be like going into college and kind of how did you make the career transition away from like what you studied in college into something that you're doing now and something that's more realistic maybe yeah. Kind of how has that journey yeah. been for you guys? It's been interesting. I started out the first year out of college really trying to do a lot of sort of the freelance production assistant grunt work for sets and stuff. And I had a little bit of success with that and I met some very interesting people. But I oftentimes was finding I was having to do a lot of temp work on the side or take these sort of like weird intermediary jobs like we worked at the yeah, Ralph Lauren did this job. It was bad. <laughs> we worked at the Ralph Lauren pop-up shop at the US Open in the Queens, like <laughs> Arthur Ashe Stadium, which was just kind of a shit job. I'm just moving boxes of overpriced t-shirts around in oh, the sun. God. And I was so, just selling overpriced t-shirts. So yeah, so it's like you end up working these weird intermediary jobs that you like just so don't want to do. And, like, I did data entry for five months Mm. at some healthcare company. And it just was not what I was wanting to do. And I then had to, like, lie to my temp boss so I could take a day off to actually go work on a set. Even though I'm just then, like, standing in front of a door saying, hey, please don't go in there. Or, shush, please be quiet. They're filming right now. Like, you know, you get paid 150 bucks to do that for 12 hours. Right. So even when I was doing what I wanted to do, it wasn't really that satisfying. So I sort of made a choice to go more uh, nine to five-ish, if you can call it that. Like a more stable Yeah, so like I work in a for a production company. They do a lot of different shoots like every week. We always have something crazy going on. And so I work in this shop. I work in their office building. I'm just coordinating all the random different stuff that they need. And it's definitely not like I'm out on set, you know, watching things get filmed but i'm still working in production i'm warning about cameras and equipment and i'm running their rentals of their equipment on off days and like doing all this stuff that's like directly tangential to what i would love to be doing someday so at least i'm getting to learn a lot and it's providing me with a steady experience as opposed to doing something for two to three days and then really hoping something else comes up after that or hoping that on those two to three days I just meet that one person who loves me so Mm -hmm. much that they give me another job 
for, you know. Which is basically how it works. Exactly. It's really about you have to sort of get your foot in the door, find the people who like you and prove that you're worthy of being there and then they'll start hiring you back for more and more things these aren't they're not just jobs that you can go out and apply for oh yeah it's so you have to know someone you are offered a job yeah yeah because it's all these people who are oftentimes sort of like saying like i've got a crew up at a department and i need five pas they're just going to call the people they know and trust and you have to sort of worm your way in onto that list of being known and trusted to not just fuck up the job entirely but like some of the very first pa gigs i got were on that uh cbs show bull oh okay it's the michael and then he got thing. me onto that too which but, was but we nice. only got there because a friend of ours was working doing an internship trainee program with the directors guild and was placed on that tv show through their training program and then she was working directly with the people who were in charge of hiring pas so she got all of her friends jobs Yep, so it, that's, that's nice. It, so that's how, you know, college paid off a little bit mm-hmm. for itself is I now know people who can sometimes get me jobs. Yeah. Because the they're also doing the same thing. The yeah. Network, exactly. What about you, Kelly? I feel like your transition was a little bit more yeah. dramatic. After graduation, well, I so I realized at the end of my junior year, so first semester junior year was London, then I came back and did another semester of acting, and after that I was just like, no. I don't want to be an actress. <laughs> Well, because that was when it got to the point where they do a good job of not critiquing people's physical appearance until right before you graduate. Oh, that's nice. Oh, they God. just lay it on you. But then your senior year is kind of like, you need to lose 30 pounds. Did they really say that to you or they like, implied I, I had, it? I had teachers flat out tell me I would never work until I was 40 because I sound 40 but look too young. Oh my That's god. That's a horrible thing to happen. I I was consistently told that I would not get work until I was old. And I not that forty is old by any yeah. means, but that like but I was just gonna have to be, be unemployed for sub- twenty years. Yeah, that I was gonna somehow have to subsist until this point when I would somehow become successful. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, That's not a life I'm willing no. to lead. So yeah. I kinda spent four months doing nothing. <laughs> you were searching through a lot of different I was applying to all different jobs online and trying to consider, can I do voiceover? Because then my physical age doesn't really matter. Um, Didn't really have much success. So then I basically, just to make some money, had Avery kind of help me get some day PA gigs on Mm -hmm. ball. Well, yeah, because we were both in that after college period. It's like, oh, shit, we're responsible for ourselves now. We got to find a way to make some money, any money. Well, and at that point, I I was still in an apartment that my parents had been paying for during college that there was no way I could afford on my own. Mm -hmm. Because it was like two and a half grand a month. And like, there was just no chance of that. So I I wasn't worrying about rent at that point. And so I was kind of just coasting along but then um Avery I realized you know I liked working in television didn't want to be a set PA figured kind of costumes or art direction are the only two things that I'd done on student sets that I really enjoyed so Avery found for me this google group called last looks oh. uh, which is just all costume people and someone That's was cool. like I'm doing this small pilot I need someone to help out so I got on that for three days. After that, she recommended me to someone else, and I got on my first TV show, my first just for a day in a costume department. And on that day, one of their PAs quit because he got offered a better job. 
So then they were like, oh, will you just stay undercover for him until we hire someone else? And then a month later, they hadn't hired anyone else, and they hired me. Yeah. And that's the show that you currently work on? No, that was Seven Seconds oh, okay. on Netflix. Um, and that ended, and I ended up on Blindspot. And then just... you got very lucky, and now you're back for a second season. Yeah, and then I did, I did a feature film between the two seasons, um, which is an in, a period piece, which was that's Ooh, I bet that set was in fun. 1982. Oh, less fun, but still fun. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of thrifting vintage store stuff. Yeah, which is very different from what I do on Blind Spot, which is all modern clothing. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I even think there's an interesting example in that of sort of the industry and like, I don't know, what I've been learning since I've been out of college is sort of the ecosystem of the creative industry in New York City. So like you were working on this piece period 1982 so you need lots of late 70s early 80s clothing but what else is filming in new york city right now the deuce which also takes place <laughs> all in the, the rental houses have no early 80s clothing because the deuce has rented all of them and you ended up having <laughs> yeah. to like drive your bosses and everybody to like philly and jersey and like all these other places to go find resources because new york city's tapped out someone else is already doing it right now and like wow. i find the same thing where like i'm looking to rent certain cameras for my jobs or the stuff I'm doing for work and I'll like call one place and they're like oh yeah there's a pilot filming and they're using multiples of those cameras so we don't have any of those cameras for rent right now or like all like I was calling someone and they're like oh yeah Gotham rented out all of our primes of that type of lens so like we can't give you yeah. we have nothing to give you so you sort of start to learn like all the different things really are affecting one another and and that the infrastructure isn't there to fully yeah. support everything well there sort of is but you can sort of see sort everything of growing and it gives you that larger perspective of the industry and the mm-hmm. business beyond just how am i gonna get a job but in i say this business? specifically in costumes the f- the fashion kind of district around herald square the fabric district all that it's really struggling mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. It, it's so industry specific but at the same time, like it's right there because that's where all the stores are. And that's really where our industry needs it to be. But they can't really afford to be there anymore. And there's a lot of different things going on trying to save the fabric yeah. district. Um, that's interesting. But yeah, so that's it's difficult. <laughs> I So I worked right on 26th and uh, Broadway for... I guess three years, four years. And um, it's really interesting because that neighborhood has changed so much in the past mm-hmm. five to 10 years, but really in the past just a couple years. And you've got all of these bigger companies coming in who can buy out those struggling fabric stores that, yeah. you know, or not that they're even struggling. I think they're all doing good business. I mean, clearly people need them, but the rents but are just ridiculous. Exactly. And even if the city would do something to create a clear fabric district somewhere else, that would be helpful. But they can't all pick up and move at the same Mm -hmm. time to the same other neighborhood. So the issue is that they're ending up like all over Brooklyn and Queens and it's no longer convenient. It's like we swatch swatch fabric all the time. I I was in so many fabric stores Mm -hmm. this week and it's there's nothing more fun. If you have not been into those fabric stores... Just walk in and look at stuff. It is so cool. It's nothing better than a whole wall of colored lace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's incredible what they have. And it would be nice yeah. if things like that in the city weren't changing so fast. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I think one thing I learned working in that neighborhood, this is, can, we can edit this out, but I, Kelly, you might be interested in this is, um, they, there are a bunch of neighborhood alliances. So if you, if that's something you're really passionate about, it might be cool to get involved in, like we were part of the nomad Alliance, um, which is, it's for North of Madison square park. Um, and it's just, it's really cool because it's all these people that come together who are really passionate and you meet like the coolest people who have worked and lived in these neighborhoods for decades. Um, so they're really passionate about the neighborhoods being clean and safe and visited, et cetera. But they're also really passionate about preserving what's special about the neighborhood. So, um, I would say, look into that if that's something that you are passionate about you know, making happen. So Yeah. Well, and in the last looks email group, they're constantly talking and yeah. kind of the whole costume community um, has gotten together on multiple occasions to go like lobby politicians and, um, you know, protest different things to yeah. try and really protect the garment district. But um, yeah, I would like to probably get more involved as I slowly move up the ladder, hopefully yeah. I won't be working 12 and a half hour days. Because <laughs> you've got so much free time. <laughs> exactly. And that, that, that's what I run into all the time is there's so many things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. But it's difficult when... Do you guys wish you know. that NYU had kind of given you maybe a more realistic picture of what options were out there and some of these more like ecosystem business type things or do you think there's no way that they could have even there's like, one taken thing the they could have done they could have actually had the acting program and the film and tv program communicate on literally any level yeah i saw so many student films where it was film students acting in them because they <laughs> didn't know where to get actors because they genuinely put in no effort to connect mm-hmm these two huge communities of their students who could really benefit from each other. Yeah, that's a good point. And there was a lot of natural crossover that happened just between film like and... Like friend groups and Yeah, stuff. exactly. Just the bleed of students interacting with one another all in the same building definitely happens. But from the administrative perspective, there was no encouragement of that. There wasn't like a, hey... Or taking you, like classes that were crossover or anything. just like a anything. forum that said like, hey, if you need actors for your student movie, post a casting call here and every NYU Tisch actor who wants to be in a student movie will see it. Like, mm-hmm. that facilitation just didn't happen. There wasn't even... I feel like just a physical poster notice board would have been yeah. something, but there like wasn't <laughs> yeah. even on that level any encouragement of crossover. It really was a sort of figure it out yourself kind of attitude. And I feel like when it came to preparing us for the industry at large, a lot of what film school was was so focused on the artistry of it, the craft and the sort of mm-hmm. high minded intellectualism. Yeah, of... I was gonna ask if you thought it was they were trying to keep it a little bit more purist for the art sake and it's not focus so much yeah, on like the business art side. School, they want it to be this idea of you are creating art, so you need to learn the history behind it and the beauty of the craft. And it really, while that focus is really helpful, what I'm doing now, which is the nitty gritty of how do I make a 12 foot white circle for someone to mm-hmm. jump around on that isn't going to like slip yeah. or make them break their ankle or whatever, like that kind of nitty gritty, how do you make things actually happen is much more needed when you're going into the job than a bunch of really nice thoughts about uh, Tarantino films. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think across the board, we, 
you know, people are like, well, we don't value the, the humanities are useless and blah, blah, blah. But then we are, you know, as a society, we're producing these huge amounts of content oh, yeah. that are art. Um, and I'm like, all you have to have is, you know, maybe a two part class that's like the business of whatever the industry is and then the operations of whatever the industry is. And even that. Mm-hmm. And there are so mm-hmm. many people, you know, just a little bit older than you who would come in and give an amazing class on that. Yeah. But it's, you know, I think our academic system for the humanities and particularly for the fine arts and all related uh, fields is just it's really supremely broken and it has to do with the way that we fund our universities even our private universities I fully agree. and i just even feel like from the approach that there's sort of something a little mismatched in the sense that they go for they sort of want to protect the idea that all of the knowledge and education that they're giving you is this very valuable thing that you're spending a very lot of money for so i feel like they want to sort of have that air or mysticism all about it because in film school specifically, they are actually very discouraging of you going out and working on sets or mm. getting any sort of job experience. While I know you're the s- acting programs are like that, too. You can't audition, right? Well, you, your freshman year, you can't audition, which I think is why there's so little crossover mm-hmm. between the film program and the acting program. That's because freshman year in the film program, you're not allowed to make movies. Yeah, yeah, it's mostly still photography and like. So I think that because they don't stuff. think about connecting them at the beginning, that never becomes part of the yeah. thought process. But also, like I studied at Stone Street Film Studios for my last two years, um, and they I think took a very different approach. They were very much about this is the real world, this is how it works awesome. to act in film and television. But that's I think part of why it ended up being for me. You need to lose thirty pounds. Mm-hmm. You don't look right. You don't sound right. And you need to change these things, things about you to make yourself marketable. They said all those things, but then they didn't give you anything of like, like that might be the reality based on the business, but they didn't give you any tools of like, well, this is what you can do in the meantime, or this is how you can transfer your skills yeah. to something else that might be fulfilling. Or like none of that, you know. Exactly. Right, exactly. It, it wasn't particularly nurturing. It was yeah. more of this is the reality. And if you're mm-hmm. not, if you can't succeed here in this environment, you're not going to succeed outside of it, yeah. which was a, in some ways a good thing for me to learn, but it just wasn't as nurturing mm-hmm. as I think an education space should be. I think this is just, a, I don't want to take it out from the discussion of this film and TV education, but I think it's, this is a millennial thing where, you know, I never felt like my teach my professors in college were particularly hard on me or particularly nurturing. Clearly you have better relationships with others, but I felt, you know, and it was different for me being an older grad student at NYU. I didn't get the same thing, but I saw it a lot with the kids that I worked with at NYU. They perpetuate a culture of we are going to be unnecessarily tough on these kids for the sake of being tough. And I think that is a direct reluctance reflection of this like millennial suck attitude. Um, like, mm-hmm. you know, God forbid we mentor this student and help them out because the real world world is tough and they're a millennial. So we got to like grind them down and keep them yeah. under our thumb. So I think that's a real product of the culture and something that's happened, you know, maybe in the past 10 or 15 years, because again, my professors were certainly tough and some of them were certainly nurturing, but it wasn't like this systemic attitude of we got to grind the kids down 
Yeah, I feel like that's exactly sort of where it comes from. It's not even a grind them down of, like, you don't know what you're doing yet, so you're not allowed to do it. Like, you, yeah. it's sort of... You the, can't just make a mistake or just try it just to try I don't it. Know, I don't know yeah, exactly. I don't know if dis- disrespect is the right word to use, but it sort of feels like this, we know better than you, so you can't do what you want to do until you have learned to do it our way or do right. it the way we deem exactly right. And granted, yeah, that's the whole point. You're there to learn. But if there's no acknowledgement of self-growth or the ability to actually do it yourself, you just sort of then are more used to sitting on the sidelines and listening and reading and thinking about it than whereas, when, especially in the film industry, it's if you a day on the job is going to be worth more than three days being told about how the job works. Mm-hmm. Right. Like on on set, hands on experience is a million times more useful than anything right. you're gonna learn in a classroom. But that's why I also feel like film school has that sort of air of elitist mysticism around them because they want to protect that. Because if you find out that you don't actually <laughs> need to go to film school to learn how to make movies, you just need to work on movies, then you can save right. the money and skip the process. Which, on some levels, I kind of wish I did because I knew people who did start like actively working on sets in college. Or still go to college, but just study something different or complimentary, maybe. Exactly, they didn't buy into the, like, I need to get film school to start working on this. Because it's that sort of idea of, like, you don't know what you're doing yet, so you can't actually go out there and be professional and earn any money doing it, because you don't know. Mm -hmm. But it's reality, if you're just going to stand there outside a door and tell people to be quiet while they're filming, you don't need a degree to do that. Yeah. And I think this is really what a lot of our universities are doing poorly because they are so afraid of losing students for this reason. Like, why take on that massive debt? But, like, you guys are really smart because you both, you know, got those degrees, even though you probably both realized early on, like, I don't really (laughs) need this degree. But here's the thing is you both, you know, especially you, Avery, you have a super physical job. Like, if you throw your back out you've got to have a college degree to be able to go do temp work for six months until you can get back on the, mm-hmm. you know, the scene. And I think we don't talk about that with our kids that are going into college. It's like, not that people should be getting general studies degrees or like a degree in liberal arts, but like, you know, get a degree in film criticism or get a degree in like whatever, and then go out and do the work. But at least you're always going to have equate the two as this being piece synonymous. of paper. Yeah. Oh yeah, I now totally have an understanding that, like, I don't know what I will ever do with my acting degree. Yeah. I I just don't know. Yeah. (laughs) But But having it is important. If you ever are, like, walking down the street and a director is like, you're great for this part, you can just, like, waltz back That's great, I've got a degree in acting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I think the thing is, too, employers, like, do not care what your degree is in as long as you have an undergraduate degree and you all... you know, you guys are all lucky to have a degree from a very prestigious university. So like you can walk into like almost any job. I'm not saying they'll give you the job, yeah. but they'll look at you, even if it's just like it a secretary. It comes with the weight of not like, that wrong with that. you know yeah. how to think and be smart. It comes and, with yeah. the quarter million dollar price tag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that too. You can that handle, too. you know, deadlines at least. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, so I feel like we could continue talking for many hours, but for our, the sake of our listeners perhaps we should move on to the archery range yes. unless maddie did you have any more specific questions no i think we touched upon all the major oh. stuff about excellent 
Excellent. Yes. We may have to have you guys back for a round two sometime. Totally. Um, I love that. We can do a harvest edition once the gardens fully come <laughs> oh, in. I yeah. love oh, yeah. that. Love that. Um, okay, so you guys are frequent listeners, so you know how it goes. But Archery Range, we ask you a series of rapid-fire questions. Uh, just shout out whatever comes to your head first. Um, if we say your favorite something, it doesn't have to be your absolute favorite. It can be like a top ten favorite. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's go. Uh, favorite movie? Oh, I'm going to have to start this. I'm uh, Just because <laughs> we rewatched it recently, and I love so many of their movies. Uh, the Big Lebowski by the Coen Brothers. It was just something we, because Kelly's been developing costumes, we've sort of been like delving deeper into conversations about it. And so in this sort of like retro 90s moment, we went back and watched The Big Lebowski, which is very much entrenched in sort of this late 80s, early 90s culture. And it was just very fun romp through it. And I love the Coen brothers movie. and all of their... They like to make movies about, I think what they call it is beautiful idiots. <laughs> and I think that just so sums up what I love about the world is that everything's kind of stupid and chaotic, but sometimes stupid and chaos leads to beauty. So cool. That's my favorite. Good way of putting it. I am a big fan of things that I consider to be bad. Me too, girl. And there's a movie that I was introduced to when I was playing basketball in high school called love and basketball. (laughs) And it's just about, the movie is broken down into four quarters (laughs) just like a game of basketball and omar epps he was the uh, one of the doctors on house Mm. plays the male lead and (laughs) the state farm guy plays his dad (laughs) and then tyra banks plays his wife later on in the movie she's she's a flight attendant and in the end they have she makes him play her in, in one-on-one for his heart. And, oh, it's a, it's a great, bad movie. There, there's a character who at one point just walks into a room and goes, Hey, man, you want chicken wings? He says no. <laughs> and then he walks away and you never see that character again. Oh, my God. It's a great, bad Very movie. Very clearly a producer's friend or family <sighs> member. It. It's like, it's I'll put you such, in my movie. Don't it's worry. It's such a good movie. And there's, supposed, there's always rumors <laughs> that they're going to make a sequel. One can only hope. But, yeah, I really, really hope. Uh, Favorite television show? Oof. Oh, I have to go first. Okay. Favorite television show? Gilmore Girls. I love that one, too. I just, I love Amy Sherman Palladino. We started watching The Marvelous Miss Maisel yesterday, and I'm so so excited to continue it. On TV right now, I would have to say The Good Place on NBC mm, yeah. because it's made by so the same good. guy who did um, Parks and Rec or one of the co-creators and one of the co-creators of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very good brand of wholesome TV in the sense that, like, uh, my other favorite TV show that's not on the air is Rest Development, but they say very, very dirty jokes without ever saying a bad word. And I feel The Good Place, albeit in some more direct ways, does the same thing, where they will set up very dirty adult jokes but in a very wholesome, acceptable way, then unless you know what they're talking about, it'll go, it'll slip right by mm-hmm. you. And I feel like there's, there needs to be more of that for TV. Not everything has to be yeah. swearing and violence all the time. Yeah. Love it. That's very true. You're uh, favorite books? Who first? Uh, the Sandman by Neil Gaiman. All oh, Neil. 
10 books are great, but I love number four, Dreamhouse, which is, it, the in summary, it's a graphic novel about the kingdom of dreams, and the first book is all about he's been locked away for 70 years, and the dream world's in disarray, and all 10 books are sort of just about him. He's one of seven gods who rule the world. It's dreams, death, destruction, despair, delirium, desire, like all these sort of demigods, and it's awesome. And the fourth book is about when Satan, who looks like David Bowie, decides he's done <laughs> ruling hell, and so he clears all the demons and dead people out of hell and gives the key to Dream and just basically says, this is your problem now. And then, like, Thor and Ramses and all the gods from every lore just show up at Dream's door being like, give me the key to hell. I want it. It's awesome. Mm. It's a great comic book. If you like Neil Gaiman and any of the things he's, he's done, it is fundamental reading. Love yeah. it. What about you, Kelly? Oh, that's such a different one. Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of impossible. That's the only book series (laughs) that has just like captured my imagination in a way that nothing else really has. Or this is the Warriors books. They're children's books. They're kind of designed for like eight to 12 year olds. It's about clans of cats that live in the woods and have like these really intense societies and they all have different roles in the clan. And yeah, there's, I think now like 30 some of the books. Wow. I only got through like the first 20. They're in sets of six. I love that. The first six are really, really great. I think it's a very millennial thing that both of you chose a series of books as mm-hmm. opposed to like a single standalone book, because that's something I think that's really come about in the past like 20 years. So You're like our yeah. anthology series. Well, and I think yeah. also Avery and I have this in common that we both, I would say we prefer television over films. We prefer yeah, the long too. form narrative to the yeah. shorter form. And that's what I remember liking about Harry Potter was that you'd finish a book and it, that didn't mean it ended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're still making new stuff. Like <laughs> I haven't kept. I, I've stopped keeping well, up. Like at the some first point, child, like the plays and stuff. Like yeah, I really want to see yeah. the plays, but like the Fantastic Beasts right. world, I haven't really gotten into. Mm-hmm. But it's know. never over. I know. Just keep making the money. It never ends. <laughs> it never ends. All right, Maddie. Um, favorite year of school, like when you were a kid, or even if it was college, that's okay too. Something that stands out as, like, a great year from your childhood. Eighth grade. My school went, we took a week-long trip to Washington, D.C. That's cool. And it was kind of like the first time we were, like, away from home with our friends. And, like, we all shared hotel rooms. And there was was horrible drama. (laughs) And there was all the random crap you'd imagine with eighth grade. But looking back on it, it's like, yeah, that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Like, someone freaking out and locking themselves in a bathroom in a hotel in D.C. When you're from small town Wisconsin. It's like, that's a big deal. Yeah. (laughs) Um... 12th grade, senior year of high school. I mean, I had a lot of issues in high school, which could be the subject of its own other podcast, but <laughs> it wasn't until like senior year that I really felt like I came out of my shell and was sort of able to be myself and be accepted by everybody in a way that I hadn't previously. And most of that was because I got involved in the high school sort of internal film and TV production program and sort of found a love of that, which allowed me to get over all my other emotional problems. So I'd have to say senior year very cool also it was cool. then i was done being forced to be around all these other people i hated being around nice <laughs> i like it uh favorite childhood snack 
Difficult one. Goldfish. <laughs> yes. Classic, um, standard. It smiles back at you. What else do you need? At the country club my family was members at when I was young, they had basically like a Dairy Queen blizzard. Mm. But I would just get vanilla ice cream and Butterfinger. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Classic. Classic. Simple. Yeah. Very good. I love it. It's very delicious. Very nice. <laughs> well, I think that's all the questions I had, yeah. Shay. Do you have any others? Anything no, I else? think that's all. Um, guys, do you want to be found on the interwebs? And if so, where can our listeners find you? It's okay if you don't. Uh, it's up to you. I wonder if I can remember my Instagram <laughs> handle. I don't think yeah, I can. I'm checking Instagram. I think most of my things are set to private. Yeah. Um, How about this? Good. If people want <laughs> to see things I've made, even though I haven't put, I think, anything up on YouTube since the end of college, Lenin Toast, L-E-N-I-N Toast. Cool. Check it Love out. Love it. Love yeah. It. Very nice. Well, awesome. thank you guys for being loyal fans and guests. Of course. Thank you for right. having us. Oh, yeah. It's been a ton of fun. This is great. You're going to sign my autograph books now, right? <laughs> yeah. I brought a lot I've of things for you to sign. <laughs> I'm, oh, no, don't worry, Shay. I'm going to ship it to you and then you'll ship it back. But it's okay. Great. I've already got it worked out. Perfect. I'm, I'm glad that you thought about that. And I feel very special and important. <laughs> all right. Thank you, campers. We will talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com, and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page where you can be a subscriber, and there are many cool prizes. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.